You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Another hacked broadcast in a hybrid war, hunting forward as an exercise in threat intelligence collection and sharing, cyber threats to the U.S. midterm elections, fishing for cryptocurrency, fake crack delivers a malicious payload to the unwary, vacations are back, so is travel-themed fishbait. Ann Johnson from Microsoft shares insights on the trends she's tracking here at RSA. Johannes Ulrich brings highlights from his RSA conference panel discussion. And Emotet returns in the company of some old familiar criminal collaborators. From the RSA conference in San Francisco, where I've left my heart and a good bit of my expense account, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, June 9th, 2022. Another broadcast has been hacked in the course of Russia's hybrid war. The last such interference was in the Russian interest and interrupted the televised presentation of the Ukraine-Wales match in the World Cup qualifying round. This most recent incident appears to be the work of pro-Ukrainian hacktivists. BBC reporter Francis Scar tweeted that a news broadcast carried by the Russian radio station Kommersant FM was interrupted to play the Ukrainian patriotic song Oh, the Red Viburnum in the Meadow. The Washington Post adds that the feed was also interrupted with an anti-war song. The station has resumed normal operations and said it was investigating the incident. Sky News, following up its interview with U.S. Cyber Command's General Nakasone, concentrates on a discussion of what hunt forward means in the context of cyber conflict. It involves the collection of threat intelligence in friendly cooperating networks, finding malware samples and other evidence of hostile activity, and sharing that intelligence to inoculate friendly networks against such attacks. General Nakasone said, This ability for us to work at the behest of a foreign government to go and hunt with them on their networks, then releasing the information. We have released over 90 different malware samples to a series of private sector cybersecurity firms. What does that do? It provides inoculation for all of us that operate in the domain. And I think that's an example of where this public-private partnership is so important. General Nakasone also credited Ukraine with considerable resilience in cyberspace. He said, one of the things that we certainly learned is the importance that the Ukrainians have placed on having a resilient network. If all that's said in terms of what's gone on in this conflict, one of the things that I think is sometimes missed is that the Ukrainians have maintained their internet and being able to communicate, and this is a great tribute to them. 
The U.S. midterm elections will be held this coming November, and experts are outlining the cybersecurity risk to those elections. At the RSA conference yesterday, CyberScoop reports, industry experts reminded election officials that phishing and email doxing had been major threats in 2016 and that those shouldn't be overlooked in the current election season. But the way the threat landscape has shifted suggests that election officials should be particularly alert for ransomware attacks. Among the U.S. federal agencies that are involved in securing the vote, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has the leading role. NSA's Cybersecurity Director Rob Joyce said that his organization would be supporting CISA. Joyce said, The worry in all of election security is trust and confidence, that we've delivered a safe and secure election. And if you know if elections are subject to ransomware, or if there's a botnet that runs a denial of service, what you'll find is that's probably going to, in this day and age, escalate to be an issue of trust. He pointed out that working against botnets and ransomware were squarely in NSA's wheelhouse. So Fort Meade's support can be expected to work primarily against those two classes of threat. This morning, Proofpoint published a study of criminal attempts against cryptocurrency holdings. They divide the operations into three categories, cryptocurrency credential harvesting, cryptocurrency transfer solicitation, and commodity stealers that target cryptocurrency values. As is so often the case, the tools for this kind of cybercrime are traded in the underworld's criminal-to-criminal markets. Phishing kits, pre-packaged sets of files that contain all the code, graphics, and configuration files to be deployed to make a credential capture webpage are popular offerings. Fake Crack, a criminal operation that distributes malware to its victims' devices, works by offering a shady come-on, free, cracked software. Avast explains that the campaign is designed to compromise and steal two classes of sensitive data, personal information and cryptocurrency holdings. It's another reason to avoid gray market software. Bitdefender reports that travel-themed spam has been seen hitting users since March 2022 and has been primarily seen targeting the United States, Ireland, India, and the United Kingdom. The spam can be found in the form of ads and phishing emails, with the emails containing buzzwords related to summer vacation and many well-known airlines. The researchers also found that malicious domains and URLs are in play. These are used to trick victims into downloading infected invoices and credit card transactions. The fish bait is topical. Not only is the summer travel season upon us, but the pandemic has abated enough to render vacation travel more feasible than it has been for the last two summers. Deep Instinct reported today that Emotet has seen a resurgence in 2022. Emotet re-emerged in late 2021 and has seen a 27-fold increase in detections in early 2022. Companies in Japan were targeted in phishing campaigns utilizing Emotet in February and March of this year, and more regions have been found to be targets in April and May, including Italy and the United States. The TrickBot gang has been observed helping Emotet deploy to infected devices to download the new variants of the malware. Deep Instinct writes, The threat actors behind Emotet have been credited as one of the first criminal groups to provide malware as a service. They successfully utilized their mass to create a massive botnet of infected systems and sold access to third parties, an enterprise that proved so effective 
It was soon being used by criminal entities such as the Ryuk and Conti ransomware gangs. Emotet also has a history of collaborating with TrickBot, famous for their info-stealing Trojan, and CACBOT, another well-known banking Trojan. So it seems that old gangs never or rarely die. They just fade into rebranding or disperse into other criminal crews. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. One of the highlights of the RSA conference is running into friends, new and old. Ann Johnson is a corporate vice president at Microsoft and host of Afternoon Cyber Tea right here on the CyberWire Network. She dropped by our meeting space at the conference to share her thoughts on the show. You know, RSA conference, and this is my 20th, 21st year at RSA conference. So let me give you one side note. Because yeah. it's June and not February, the weather is outstanding. It's not raining. <laughs> it's been a lovely week. But right. Um, that aside, the vibe feels much the same. It's, I think it's a smaller conference this year because the date changed and people are still coming out of COVID and thinking about travel, but the vibe is still the same. You still have a bunch of passionate industry professionals who are dedicated to their mission and trying to solve really hard problems and having really deep conversations as late as like 10, 11 o'clock at night. You know, it is a wonderful community, as you know, and everyone, you know, I'm seeing lots of friends on the street, people I haven't seen in a few years, and it just feels wonderful to be here. Yeah. Yeah. 
as you walk around, what sort of trends are you noticing? You know, we, we've had years where everything was artificial intelligence and then years where it was the human element. And, and any, any idea what this year's theme is? Oh, yeah. It's the year of XDR. If I, I have seen like yeah, yeah. window storefronts, sidewalks, every bit of branding. I was joking with a, a friend in the industry, and I I, um, I don't drink alcohol, but I said I'll I'll take a drink of you know uh, ginger ale or diet coke every time I see a XDR sign, you know, and you can have a shot of beer or whatever it is. Um, you have to so, take frequent bathroom breaks if you do. That, that's exactly right. But but I think that you know it's the year of XDR. But again, trying to solve really hard problems. If you don't have that visibility end to end across your estate, that XDR can give you, you know, like. Microsoft XCR, we give it to you across our platform and with third-party solutions. You can't solve hard problems because you're not seeing. You have to, the biggest problem customers try to solve is visibility. And theoretically, that's what XDR is going to bring to them is that promise of visibility and correlation of threats across the entirety of your environment. Is now the right time for XDR? I get, let me say that another way. Why XDR at this moment being having the popularity it does? I think it's because a lot of organizations are going are now both hybrid and cloud. And so visibility becomes a really different conversation for them, right? They're trying to figure out what's still in their estate on premises, and then they're trying to figure out what they have in the cloud. And that that dream of us, you know, I'll just I'll use the Microsoft example, right? Microsoft yeah. Defender for Endpoint, looking at what is on premises or, at, or on your endpoints, as opposed to Microsoft Defender for Cloud or Microsoft Defender for Identity, we can look across the entirety of your estate and say these threats are coming in from the cloud, these threats are coming in from on premises, and we can correlate those. And that's, I believe, why there is such this impetus for it now, is because customers' estates have gotten much more complex. In addition to that, threat actors have ramped up and have figured out where the soft chewy center is, where the soft chewy center is external to you in a cloud where the soft chewy center is still on premises. So being able to detect really quickly. Time to detection is the most important thing and XDR should be able to reduce your time to detection, which gives you a better opportunity to defend your environment. As I'm wandering around the show floor here, I'm seeing a lot of young, fresh faces, people who are looking to find their place in the community here. Are you seeing the same thing and and what kind of energy do you see them bringing to things? I had so much fun last night. I was um, one of the experts at the RSA Scholars Dinner. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. Terrific. Yeah. yeah. So the RSA Scholars Dinner, we bring in college students who are mostly postgraduate. They're, um, you know, masters or PhD students. I had so much fun with them. I actually said to one of the students, you know, he was talking about how he's writing CTFs, how he's helping write grants for students to go to cybersecurity education. And I'm like, when I was in college, I was thinking about where the next party was. I wasn't thinking about like, seriously, they are so committed. Remember, when we were in college, cybersecurity wasn't an industry, right? No, it wasn't, no. Um, but they were they were so passionate. I was talking to somebody who was doing embedded work on embedded systems and risks for nuclear power plants. These kids, hmm. they're going to save us all because they are so passionate, committing, and, and they're digital natives. So they're so much further ahead than we were in understanding the landscape. I think another element, for me anyway, is... Uh, I'd like to get the word out that for those folks who are coming up, don't be shy. Come up and introduce yourself. If, 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 you know, and I know you. this is something you feel as well. You're willing to take the time to have those conversations, help people along the way. You know, I was talking to a member of my team this morning, and I said, if someone is, and I'll say it, brave enough to walk up to me, I'm right. going to give them time. Right. <laughs> if you want to send me a LinkedIn message, I'm going to give you a few minutes. Maybe ultimately, because I don't, and I like to do quality things like you, right? So maybe yeah. if I feel like I don't have enough time, I'm going to ask you to meet with someone after that. But I'm going to give you time. I want to get the next generation passionate. You know, I've been doing this for over 20 years. You've been doing it for a long time. I want the next generation to be as passionate as we are because they're going to have harder problems to solve and they're going to come with fresh ideas and we need fresh ideas. 
You are the host of the podcast Afternoon Cyber Tea. Uh, can you give us a preview? What's coming up there? Yeah, so Afternoon Cyber Tea is, I, I talk about it in the terms of I like to humanize cybersecurity. Mm. I, I like to bring on really interesting guests. So we have a really interesting guest coming up um, who is not in the cybersecurity industry. Um, he is actually in the media and entertainment industry, but he is going to talk about an initiative he has started. It's based in Tulsa called Black Tech Street to get folks into technology careers. So he's yeah. going to talk about how he has you know, stepped out of a little bit of the, the media entertainment industry to really invest in making this a reality. So we have guests like that. We have lumin- industry luminaries on. You know, yeah. We have up-and-comers. We love to have up-and-comers on the show talk about young talent. We like to give visibility to somebody who's just starting out. So it is probably one of my favorite things to do. And of course, it's hosted on CyberWire. <laughs> it is our honor to do so. Ann Johnson, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. That's Ann Johnson from Microsoft. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, always great to welcome you back. Yeah, good to see each other in person this time. I know. We are here at the RSA conference face-to-face, which is certainly a treat. Um, You just finished a presentation here at RSA. Can you give us a little overview? What was uh, the presentation about? Yes, yeah, so I was uh, really part of a panel uh, with Ed Scotus, uh, Katie Nichols, uh, Heather Mahalik, and uh, Rob Lee. And uh, we sort of always try to summarize in one year at RSA what sort of the biggest hacks are that we see coming. So it's not just looking backwards as what they are right now. Part of it is that as well, but also a little bit looking forward. So what are the things on the horizon for you all? Well, um, for example... Uh, Katie talked about uh, that living off the cloud idea. It's something I've certainly observed, like when we look at the the reports we're getting in with Storm Center and such, where uh, people are using cloud services against you, where they're uh, using servers like NCROC or even like simple things like Dropbox and such to to exfiltrate data, uh, to use it as a command control channel. uh, Because from the network point of view, uh, that blends in really nicely with uh, the normal traffic that you're seeing. Because so much is coming and going from the cloud and, and everyday operations, it's, it's sort of masked by default? Correct. And uh, these are services that have legitimate uses too, so you can't just outright block them. I see. Uh, or if you block them, then you have angry users. That right. <laughs> also not so nice. <laughs> right, right. Angry users are the, the bane of security practitioners <laughs> everywhere. What other things uh, did you all discuss? Yeah, I talked a little bit about uh, how actually the infrastructure you're building for backups uh, could potentially be used against you. Hmm. Uh, Because if you think about it, uh, you're installing agents on all of your endpoints uh, to collect the data that you are backing up. Uh, You're typically exfiltrating it uh, to some kind of cloud service. Right. So what about an attacker that will just uh, take that over and configure it for you now? Not necessarily how you intend to configure it, uh, but uh, use that same software to steal your data and just send it to a different uh, cloud endpoint. In particular, since a lot of these uh, cloud systems have had vulnerabilities in the past, so it's not necessarily that uh, they're foolproof either. Uh, And sometimes it's just not configured right because it's boring. Backups are boring. So uh, that's why they're often ignored until you actually need them. And 
they're also like your last line of defense for ransomware in many cases. Mm-hmm. So, uh, particularly if you're looking at the modern ransomware that often has of the extortion component uh, to it, they'll just take the data and maybe even use then the endpoints, the software that you installed on your clients as part of the backup system to do some of the encryption for you because they often have encryption capability because encrypted backups are good. Right. Uh, just in, usually like to have the clear text version around as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and is this also a matter of, from the user's point of view, that it appears as though your backup software is doing everything that you configured it to do? It's sending stuff off somewhere to a cloud and it's easy to overlook which cloud where? Exactly, and you know, the attacker may even use the same cloud as you're using, so that makes it mm. even more difficult. And because you're typically dealing with a lot of data, you often, again, exempt it from network monitoring, for example, because mm-hmm. you don't want to uh, bog down your network monitoring solution with lots of uh, traffic that you really don't really care about because you know it's just that backup software. It's going from your backup server uh, to that um, S3 bucket or whatever, uh, but really all you're often caring about is that it's going to Amazon or whatever uh, service you configured. What are your recommendations then? I mean, given that uh, backups are boring... Uh, how do you prioritize, give them the attention they deserve? Well, I always say as a security practitioner, I like boring because when it gets exciting, <laughs> it's usually not that good. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, give them the extension they deserve. That's really what it comes down to. And review configurations, monitor configurations. Like, uh, how do you change management on uh, backup configurations? Who has access uh, to those processes and is allowed to make or authorized to make changes? So really by tying them more into your overall security practices, uh, that's a good start. And of course, keep that stuff updated like everything else. It's a little bit of a one-off solution. So it's not like your Windows updates where you have like thousands of them and it's it's not as mechanical as that. uh, But uh, yeah, don't ignore it. Any other uh, particular items from the presentation that uh, deserves attention? Yeah, we had uh, two more. So um, Heather Mahalik, she was talking about stalkerware, which is like a huge issue. Mm. Um, also like some of the more advanced exploits that you have here against mobile devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, NSO Group, even though they are sort of fading away, but uh, their exploits, their tools are sticking around. And then Rob Lee was talking about uh, some of the... Attacks against satellite systems, if you have seen in Ukraine. Now, a lot of them has been written about now how it is affected or didn't affect it, or didn't affect sort of the, the wind uh, uh, power uh, systems in, in Germany and such. But uh, one sort of not well-publicized effect of this was that actually these communication systems, uh, the Ukrainian army used in part of its sort of artillery uh, targeting systems where... Hmm someone at the front line could send a message back that uh, they found uh, some Russian uh, tank or something like this. And um, the way uh, Rob describes it, like an Uber uh, for artillery, where uh, <laughs> then the system automatically found the closest artillery battery to right. them, uh, launch shells at them, um, which, you know, because now you have sub-minute uh, kind of response times. And that was shut down uh, by shutting down uh, those Viacom uh, modems. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, where then, of course, uh, Elon Musk stepped in right. and right. gave them his satellite system, which uh, sort of was basically private sector now uh, fulfilling an important military role. Right. Which Things get a little fuzzy now, don't they? Things get fuzzy, and now uh, <laughs> it's sort of part of Chinese military uh, doctrine uh, to, hey, if you ever 
fight the Ukraine, uh, not the Ukraine, <laughs> the US, the first thing we probably want to do is take out SpaceX yeah? mm-hmm. or, or Starlink. Uh, so um, you have this, we always had this uh, when it comes to cyber where uh, there is no clear delineation between sort of you know, private industry and government. Most government networks uh, use privately owned or um, commercial uh, Connectivity. They're right. not usually running their own wires. Right. Uh, so, and this becomes really obvious here when it gets to space, and uh, which is sort of literally now the new high ground in warfare. Can't get any higher than um, to some satellite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Geosynchronous orbit yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And if you sort of look at some of the news from Ukraine, how effectively this is sometimes used, sort of the connectivity between drones and uh, artillery, sort of this, this immediate feedback and targeting. Right. Right. Well, I have to say it's uh, great to be back here in person to see people face to face and uh, delighted that you made time for us today. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Rachel Gelfand, Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.